Hey, Savages and sports fans, welcome to the Greg Medford Show. Greg here with you, Phoenix, Arizona. We have a guest today. You know, we have taken on this mission as the uh, third leg of the milk stool of the American democracy has abdicated its role. They've uh, become derelict uh, in their duty. They have become part of the propaganda wing of the leftist Marxist commie, dirty, rotten, better dead than red bunch. Uh, that means us citizen soldiers who used to pick up a musket. I picked up a musket when I was a kid for the country. Uh, but us citizen soldiers, our mission is not over. And we have to still kind of be shining light on things. And we have to speak truth to power. One of the best ways to do it is to get folks who reside in the power strata of America. Pull them in uh, by their grace and their uh, gift of their time. And pull at their experience and what's in their brain and what's going on in this God blessed country that is so awesome and occasionally so effed up, it's hard to be hopeful. I, interestingly enough, my dad calls me up a couple times a week. God damn it, kid! I see what's going on. Just, just talk me off the ledge. And I, and so my dad's, a, my dad's a clinical psychologist. So I said, all right, dad. <laughs> I talk him off the ledge. I go, it's gonna be okay. We let these people come out. That was the best thing of Trump. We found out who the dirty, rotten commies are. Now we have them all identified. And although we can't pick them off the wall like I would prefer to emotionally, um, we can now go after them politically. We can go after them with facts and we can crush them because they have no argument. So part of that is getting wonderful guests in. And we have one today, Congressman Andy Biggs from the 5th Congressional District here in Arizona. Pleasure to have you. Thank you for coming in today. Greg, great to be with you. Thank you. Good to be with the whole team. Like, I love you know, that. What a great crowd you've got here. <laughs> it's a lovely crowd. <laughs> it's a handsome audience. <laughs> How are you doing today? Very good, thanks. <laughs> great to be here. Hey, uh, do you mind if I call you Andy while we talk since we're two fellas over? Not, no, no, call me Andy. Are you, are you Mormon? I am. All right. I, I, my whiskey's safe then. I'm happy about that. The last guy <laughs> that was here just was plowing through the whiskey. I, I know better than to bring a blacksmith in anymore. Uh. <laughs> I, I had a blacksmith on the show talking about blacksmithing, and I was like, uh <laughs> you know the conversation got saucier at the end but i was like my bottle of mccallan's disappearing no it was, it was great um tell us so you were born down in uh you're born here in arizona you're a local local boy right yeah uh, yeah tucson right tucson that's right born in, raised in tucson um actually was down in tucson a couple of weeks ago and i went by the old hospital where i was born you know and you see see some of the old stomping grounds and and uh i was on my way to and from the border so uh <sighs> Yeah, I uh, I the hospital here in town where I was born is now a parking lot. It's, it's good Samaritan. It's good Samaritan's parking lot. Oh, hey, so you're an attorney. You uh, went to ASU, right? Uh, U of A for law school, ASU for grad school. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and where where did you do undergrad? A BYU. BYU. Okay. All right. Uh, I had to go up to the mothership check in for a little while. Yeah, we <laughs> sure did. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, here in Arizona, we have the largest concentration of Mormons in Mesa, Arizona, outside of Salt Lake City in the world, I believe, right? Pretty close, like yeah, the, probably. It's the satellite mothership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you were, uh, how long were you a practicing attorney for? What kind of law did you do? Um, I was, uh, I call it dirty shirt lawyer. If you walked in the door and had a check and had a problem, I was going to try to help you out. Okay. 
So you're just scrounging away to make a living. Yeah, as an yeah, mo most. But I did a lot of trial work. A lot okay. of a lot of trials. So litigation stuff. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, how long did you do that for? Uh, probably 10, 12 years. And then uh, decided somewhere along the way that. You're... I've been repenting for like thirty years. <laughs> from from your time as an attorney, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I did some international legal work uh, later on, though, in in the nineties. So, oh, okay. So that was interesting too. Um, you did a mission also in Japan, I believe, right? That's right. Fluent? Are you still fluent? No, not not it's, still fluent. Uh, you were pretty fluent after being there, I'm guessing. Yeah, and I and I read. I, I could read pretty well, um, actually. Uh, but my son, my son is fluent. He's he's good. He's, oh, really? Yeah, he's really good. So did he? So did he mission for the church over in Japan as well? He he did. He was in Tokyo. Oh, that's I was, great. And I was down west. And so you guys so. can pull off some shenanigans when you're out if you're out together talking to Japanese with each other. Oh yeah, it's, you know, if if we need to uh, in the family, sometimes you have to go right into Japanese so we can talk to each other. <laughs> yeah, if there's press or women around, <laughs> like, you gotta be careful. Yeah, no, it's like I really don't want to be shopping right now. I don't know how you say that in Japanese, but yeah. Um, and and uh, that's one of those languages I'm sure that's a really diminishing skill. I mean, my 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 contact with it, it's uh, it it feels like a very mysterious language to me, and. Unlike the Romance languages or the European languages that have so much right. crossover familiarity, everything in Japanese, other than like telephone, everything in Japanese is like a completely bizarre word. Yeah. Like it has nothing to do with anything that we can relate to. Right. I mean, that that's true. Um, the, the nice thing about Japanese, though, is is it's a very patterned language, uh, pattern-oriented. And so once you learn the patterns and the sentence patterns, um, you can get it, but I, I I just remember like the first day I'm in Japan, right? And and you go and I've been taught this really formal business uh, language. It's a very hierarchical language too. And I go and I say something like, "Hello, I'm I'm Andy Biggs, you know, and I represent the church, and and it's great to be with you. Do you have a few minutes to talk?" And they said something back, and I learned that moment. They taught me how to speak. I don't know how to listen. I don't know how to hear it. You know, mm -hmm. and that's really mm -hmm. that's really a key to any language. When uh, when you go off on a mission, I, I, sorry, I get distracted. on this is interesting. <laughs> but if they're sending you off uh, on a mission to Japan, do they? How far in advance do you know? And is there do the do the Mormons have like a military language school where you get to go kind of get a little boned up, <laughs> or do they just send you off to talk, tell, preach the word of God with twelve words? I mean, how's it go? Uh, you you find out several months ahead of time, especially if you're going foreign, because you got to get through the passport and visa po process for sure, and uh, health process. But then you go into a language training area, uh, missionary. They call it missionary training center. It's it's in Provo, right off BYU's campus, okay. and they teach I don't know how many dozens, uh, maybe maybe eighty languages, maybe I don't know, some, just a lot of languages. Yeah. And so I've had, I've had I've had a, a daughter, two daughters uh, learn Portuguese, and one of them w was down in uh, uh, Sao Paulo to learn Portuguese. That's where that's where their missionary facility is. Uh, one learned French, uh, and and then the other one Japanese. So we've had all these languages. In my family. Uh, you know, the guys, I don't know what the caffeine and liquor status is of Mormonism, just as a, as a, as a local Arizona, and I was always like, we got a Mormon kid with us, so we're not going to DUI. But <laughs> you guys miss out on a few, a few of the perks, and then, and then you know, you miss out on those, but then most Mormons are polyglots, so it's pretty cool. 
Uh, it's a cool. It's a cool <laughs> perk for being uh, uh, chased on, on these other areas. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, so I used to. I told my wife. I said, uh, BYU. The nice thing about BYU is there. It's got to be the strongest foreign language university in the country because so many people come back and they're fluent. Because half the school's fluent in a foreign language. Yeah, I mean, it's right. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Let's get off to other All things, right. okay? Let's move to depressing things. Well, no, not really. I'm, I'm actually, you know, look, it is a complete shit storm, uh, and I'm actually, I, I'm energized by it. And I was pissed for 10 months. I've, I've been, I mean, I was mad. And I'm the, <laughs> like, I'm, you know, I got family and a business and everything, so I'm reasonably kind of rooted into being, a, a, a you know, a law-abiding citizen, but... There's just there's one degree of too mad that a lot of people I think got close to. Talk to me for a minute about the Trump presidency. Um, you've been in politics for years before he got there, the politics of when he was there and the politics since he's left. Unfortunately, um, talk to me a little bit about what was it like in Washington? What was it like when he was there? How did it change? Like, can I maybe preface the question? Wait a minute. Give us a, a real quick executive brief. What's Washington D.C. like? So Washington, D.C. is a company town, and the company is the government, and um, it's a bureaucratic town. So a lot of these people, they go and they make money, and if they're in the higher echelons, you know, I'm talking cabinet officials and, and senior management, they're going to come in, they're going to work for an agency, and then they're going to go out and make a bunch of money working for some either lobbying, consulting, something. So they're going to private sector back to the agency they got to know the inner ropes of. I exactly. And and so it's a town on the make. Everybody there's on the make. Yeah. And I'm not talking I'm not even getting to Congress yet. I'm just talking about the people. The, the people. And um you know, you got 93% of them are, are super uber left-wing Democrats and 7% are are Republicans. Is it, is that a real number? That's a real number. That's a real number. Now, that's outside that, of the that, declared 435 and 100 members and the, the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. outside of the elected officials. It's, yeah. a, it's an almost exclusively Democrat town. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I so, mean, so we'd be better off. Okay, I'm not even going to say that. Yeah. We, we'd, be be, we'd be better off just <laughs> Greg, uh, flushing Greg, that thing. Greg filtering. Toilet. Greg filtering. No, I, look, it almost never happens. It almost never happens. Okay, yeah. so it's a town on the take. And, you know, I, I heard um, you know President Trump say something during office. He goes, you know. I've done business in a lot of places. I've never seen a corrupt place like Washington, D.C. It's <laughs> the worst corrupt place. Way worse than I imagine. Way worse. Worse than New York. I mean, <laughs> well, he, he said one time, one of my favorites, I, won't, I, I can't match your, your, your Trump. Oh, it was awful. But, but I will just tell you, I heard him say one time, Turns out the swamp is deeper and wider than I thought it was. Oh, yeah. And, and it really was. And so I, I did work at the UN for uh, a few years um, doing international multilateral institutions, doing legal work. And I'll tell you, uh, that is the only place I've seen more corrupt than D.C. And I'm not even sure that I can say that anymore. <laughs> I mean, the UN, I, UN, you go in and you expect it to be corrupt. D.C., I went in expecting it to be corrupt. So, I, you know, I, I guess I'm cynical on that stuff. But I... Uh, how, how corrupt is it? Okay, so you just talked about the people. And, I, I, you know, I have faith in the uh, greed of people that everybody's touched by the greed at some level. Talk to me about our 435 members of Congress, our 100 senators, and our kind of elected crew in the Supreme Court. How are they? Are, are they mostly good people trying to do the right thing, or are they corrupted? You know, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of people that really come in motivated. I think a lot of them hang on to that and they stay motivated. 
they want to do the right thing. They they have, you know, like th there's a lot of my colleagues, Republicans. I love them. They, you know, most of them, they, they're trying to do the right thing. Uh, but there is this this small con uh, center, this consent, this area, and they, they their influence gets concentric, goes out, and spreads out like a, a rock in a pond. And those are the people who like the swamp. They like power. They like the affluence that comes and with that's it. both sides of the aisle uh, right? yeah, yeah and yeah. so they're a uniparty they form this uniparty right. thing and so um you know, look i i'll just tell you i i had uh the national republican congressional committee and these are the ones that are supposed to support republicans right. who are not supposed to play in primaries right they put three hundred fifty thousand dollars against me to, after i won to fund two lawsuits to try to take away my my electoral victory in the primary and that's because probably I was really conservative, said I joined the Freedom Caucus, all this stuff like that. And um, and that that was the first, and that was before I even went back to D.C., you know? So this is, this is kind of the crux of what we observe from the outside, and it's hard to get clarity because we don't stand in it every day and you, yeah. you get a chance to swim in it. Um, there's really kind of three parties in Washington. You've got honest brokers on the right, and honest brokers on the left too. There are good-hearted, fine people on the left, I imagine. And then there is a jaded. You didn't shake your head. Yes. Are there good people on the left? Uh, well, so when I say when you say good people on the left, um, I would I would use it. There are sincere people on the left. They're so, wrong. Right. But uh, but their hearts in the right place, and they're not corrupt. Right. Yeah. This one when, when I say sincere, I think these are people. They're lefties all the way. You can't get more left than they are. But they, some of them sincerely believe what they believe. But what comes with that sincere leftist, uh, leftist belief is authoritarianism. Right. So, so, it, so Which isn't good. So from the outside, as Americans looking into Washington through you know the news crucible, which is a bullshit filter, if there ever was one, um, it's a corrupting filter. It's a propaganda filter. Um, sure. We look into Washington and everybody thinks there's the left and there's the right and the conservative, you know, and then there are moderates in the middle. But really what there is... There are honest broker lefties, honest broker conservatives, and then there's a corrupt power class in the middle that seem the same, the same yeah. side of the same coin. So the, we, we call them the Republicans rhinos, the Democrats, you know, they're the mad at the moderate Democrats because they're not radical enough. But it seems like there's a corrupt pool in the middle. It's not centrist. Yeah, so I, I would just add one one segment to it that I think maybe people aren't seeing but it's what Donald Trump went to Washington D.C. to confront, and that is, that is this power structure that's in the middle. I mean, it's in a really small elite group in Congress anyway. Mm -hmm. It's it's the Chuck Schumers, it's it's the it's the Mitch McConnells, it's it's the people who actually run that darn place. So when Nancy Pelosi, uh, you're saying they're corrupt. Well, I'm, I'm saying that I don't know what their motivations are. Okay. But, but but I do know that they they that it appears to be that it's self-aggrandizing mm -hmm. and it's to maintain power. Now they may they may legit, legitimately legitimately believe that if they had all the power, they, the world's problems would be solved. I don't think that's the case. Right. But every dictator in history has thought that exactly. But but that's the point. It's this small group, and and they're there and they're co-opted. They're co-opted by. Uh, special interest, big, uh, big businesses that are funneling big amounts, I mean obscene amounts of money in to, uh, uh, 
and it's a chicken and egg deal. So, but they're going into the leadership of of both parties, and you know, I, and I think, I think that this uniparty thing is real. It's real. Look, I have a bill, for instance, at one time, uh, uh, how to pay for building a wall, how to pay pay for building the wall. You build the wall, you pay for it, and I'm introducing the bill, and it gets assigned to seven committees, seven committees, right. Well, what that tells you is I, I'd never seen that before uh, recently in Arizona where the speaker here said, assigned a bill to every committee in the House. I'd never seen more than two, three committees. Because that usually four. sends it to purgatory. It means yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's you dead. Can, you, can't, you can't do anything with it. Oh, we took we, we took Congressman Big Bill. We, we sent it out for review. Yeah, and, and so, right. And so I go in and talk to the speaker at the time, which is uh, because he was a Republican speaker at the time. I said, look. How can we sign this bill to seven committees? Oh, it's too controversial. I said, how is it controversial to to do what we said we'd do that you campaigned on and every Republican campaign on, which was to build a fence, and President Trump said we'll make Mexico pay for it, and this is the closest way I can figure out to make Mexico pay for it is to tax remittance payments going to Mexico. Right. I, I see cowardice on a corporate professional level. I see cowardice, and I see the biggest thing, lack of accountability. There's no sure. accountability. When is the last time somebody threw the king in the guillotine? When is the last time anybody... Metaphorically in, speaking. Metaphorically. <laughs> when is the last time anybody got run up the flagpole for breaking these laws? How can it be legal to take money from people that you're there to pr protect your electorate from, yeah. to collude with them? How is that legal? How is it legal to trade stocks? You know, I've just been reading about the stock trading that's going on with congressional members, and I'm flabbergasted. I mean, they're in on it. Yeah. Uh, so, so Nancy Pelosi nets 31 million supposedly, right? In, in a recent trade, um, she's really smart, huh? Yeah. Well, uh, it's it's amazing how many people come in and they they don't uh, have that kind of financial acumen until they get in Congress and get some inside information. How about Blumenthal? I mean, you start looking at the number of people that have made uh, incredible amounts of money. Yeah, it's uh, a business going there for it, a it lot is. of people. It is, and that's, so that's, the, that's where you see the corruption. Those people, though, uh, I, I get the feeling from looking at some of them, not the Nancy Pelosi, but some of them that are more rank and filish, they, they don't even really want to be in leadership. They just want to, they're in on the grift. That's that they want to end on the grift and they're and they're and that's the way to get the grift. And I agree. I you know, I've been just around a couple invited to a couple things over the years and been in Washington and it looks to me like a grand lifestyle of cocktail parties and hobnobbing. I well, I hate the lifestyle. So I, I, because you, <laughs> well, you look at me, I live out in the desert, man. Yeah, I exactly. I mean I I look, I would rather be um in Arizona any day of the week. But a lot of these people and and, and it by the way, it isn't it, it, this is the thing, the part that people don't see. It isn't just elected officials, because elected officials, by and large, don't run that town. Right. It is it's staff. The bureaucrat staff. It's the bureaucrats. Yeah. Yeah. It's the lobbyists and special interests. And by the way, they love that lifestyle. I mean, you oh, right. a little shrimpy, a little crab, whatever it is. And, and, Welcome uh, to town, Congressman. Let's show you how it goes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, you know, and and I'm not that way. I don't. Okay. I don't go to those. So it's gross. It's gross. Yeah, okay. it's, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, because I'm grossed out by all of that. You know, yeah. I, I get invited to parties and I end up at the parties and I'm walking around and I'm like, I'm the only dude in this room who will call bullshit. Yeah. yeah. I, I, great to meet you. Awesome. What a great experience. I'm like, 
<laughs> we just had a 12 second conversation what do you mean it's a great experience <laughs> um hey well i i'll tell you greg just 12 seconds with you is it's it's a great experience <laughs> you look at you look at you i got a baby to shake out all uh, exactly uh tell me about the trump presidency what happened when he came to town what did you sense did it was it a, a were, were you as surprised as i was i mean i was in love with the guy before he i, I yeah. just thought i was going to get some supreme court justices i was going to block some dirty commies and then we'd back to be back to a clinton or a bush before long yeah. And then he showed up and did what he did. And I was like, yeah. So, so here's the thing. Uh, I, I fell in love with him at the debate, 17 people. So I'm running for Congress for the first time when he's running for president. Cause you'd be in jail. <laughs> you'd be in jail. So, so you, you, you got, you got 17 Republicans. This is a primary debate. Yeah. I'm coming in 24 seven. I'm finally home for dinner. And I said, okay, we've got 30 minutes while we're eating. Let's watch this debate. And I turned to my wife and I said, one of these things is not like the others. And it's oh. Donald Trump. And oh, he's yeah. Totally different. And I, and so my thought was, and we, we immediately said, he's our guy. You know, but and the reason is I was going to D.C. to shake things up. That was my intention. And he was going to D.C. to shake things up. Yeah. And he did. And, and you, knew, you know he did because immediately the establishment class, Freaked. which is the, the uniparty, the yeah. swamp, whatever yeah. it is, they freaked out and they went after him. And we found that out. I, I mean, Durham's filing last week. I mean, this we, this is so important. Old news. Old news. We, we I, knew this. We've been watching on. this go on. And yeah. I'm like, how does nobody else see this? Because I'm out here in Cowtown and I see it. Yeah, it was it was real. So so uh, Trump though, Trump is uh, you know he had some bad people that were kind of trying to work with him. So so Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell. Um, I won't say they're bad guys. What I will say is they're entrenched. They're part of it. Yeah, they're they're, they're the they, wrong guys. If they, the they're the wrong is, guys, they're, they're the wrong they're guys. The wrong if guys. the bosses there are kicking over tables with a whip, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, so an example was we all campaigned on clean repeal of Obamacare, not a repeal and replace, but a clean repeal of Obamacare, and uh, that's part of our platform. That's what Trump ran. All of the everybody ran on it, and the first meeting we have. This is before I'm sworn in. The first meeting we have. Uh, the speaker says, "Okay, we're going to do this in three buckets." And I said, "Wait a second, I've 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 done policy making. You don't need three buckets if you're doing a clean repeal. That's a one sentence. This 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 statute is repealed effective this date." I introduced language that said that, and and we're doing it in three buckets. Are you kidding me? Right. And uh, it was not going to be a clean repeal. And that's when uh, I actually had to go. The only member of Congress I really knew at that point was Jim Jordan. I had, I went up to Jim and said. What does he mean with three buckets? And so, so Jim's trying to explain this to me, and I said, "Here's here's the deal, Jim. You need to know this because you're the you're you're tops in Freedom Caucus, and Mark Meadows needs to know this too." And I'll tell him too. If we don't do a clean repeal and put that on the floor, you have to put that on the floor. If we're not going to put that on the floor before January twentieth, when Trump's sworn in, I said, I can't support any fake. Any fake repeal, I will not vote for it, which I never did vote for it. And and, um, and they never did put a, a, a another clean repeal, even though they passed it out of the House 60 times when Obama was there right, and, and right. Trump wasn't there to sign it. That's To me, that is the it's most— phony. It's phony. Yeah, exactly. Phony. It was the most telling thing to me. Uh, me too. 
I saw it and I could, you guys have been doing this for four years. You've been lying and yeah. now you're here in charge and you're not going to do it because you're scared or whatever. Yeah. Because of the insurance companies that are giving you money or med who's giving you big money? Big pharma, yeah. big insurance, all, you know, what, what, what is this? You were doing it. Were you, were you telling the American people we're going to repeal it, but you were telling all the big money folks, oh, well, don't worry. No, no, sit down. Don't worry about it. I think it's egg on the face to say you're going to boldly do something. It's like the guy who wants to fight and he's just standing there behind his friend who's got his arm out. And he's just ready to fight, yeah, and the yeah. guy's oh, it's like, don't do it. He's like, I'm, I'll do it, but my my, my wife's watching. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, okay, well, if you're going to do it, shut your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That, that, that annoyed me to no end. Well, see, but, but Trump is there, and Trump comes in. He's got these big, bold ideas. And my thought was, my thought, in all earnestness, I thought, we're going to have a clean repeal on his desk when he gets here. We're going to have a bill that funds the building of the wall. We're going to have a, a bill that actually deports some people. Uh, we're going to do everything. We're going to have him queued up for success. Yeah, and this is going to be – and the tax, he's talked about tax. We're going to have a great tax reform bill. All this can be done in the first 100 days, and it didn't get done. And what you know what happened is the American people, the conservatives, the, 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 the great – uh, what are they called? The deplorables, the Hillary Clinton deplorables who who supported Trump and this new his new populist movement. They said, you're going to pay for this in 2018. And we did pay for it because if we would have delivered it, yeah. uh, I don't think we would have gotten crushed. Right. But we got crushed. No. It, and it and it 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 looked like uh, insincerity. It looked like ineptitude and it looked like lack of will. Well, it was all of those things. Yeah, it was all those things. Yeah. And, and, and then it was and, and then what happens is. All you need is you need everybody like her, and when they when they go, hmm, that's a loss. Yeah, because well, you got to have everybody. They got to drive someplace. They got to turn in a. Ma they got to mails. You know, they got to be engaged. So, and when you when you when you you know when you're not succeeding, people disengage. It's like watching a game where your team's losing. You, well, you disengage. Think think of it as a coach going into the, uh, uh, the 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 team before the game and giving this massive fired up talk. And you get out there. And the first play, you punt. I mean that right. that's really what it felt like. Yeah. It, I felt I was I mean that's I the guy that preceded me, who you know, Matt Sam yeah. preceded me in Congress, he used to tell me, Andy, sometimes I, I feel like crying sometimes I cry myself to sleep because it's so bad. And I you know, I'm not that kind of guy. And I'm and I'm telling you, about a month in, I'm saying, I know what he meant now. You could you could literally cry yourself to sleep. It's so bad. He's mad. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. mad. He mad. Mad is mad, and and yeah. and what happens is, and that's that's what happens. You either succumb to the frustration and 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 develop Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, where you where you begin <laughs> yeah. to agree with your captors. Yeah, you put a, you put, or, a to, put a toga on. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Or you keep fighting. And I said, I said, I I'm never. I came here to fight. And what's the worst thing that happens to me? I get unelected for fighting real hard. Okay, so I fight my guts out. And then if I get unelected, I go back to the great life I had before I came to Congress. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. Um. So was uh did was there like f for you Freedom Caucus types was there like hope in the air? Because I got to tell oh. you, election night, I I couldn't stop smiling for maybe a year. Election night, I just said because I was like, hi Hillary Clinton for five, <laughs> eight years probably, and then that ha I mean, I was sitting on my phone just started blowing up because I've been. 12 years now doing this yeah i've been 12 years talking about politics interwoven into my company which everyone said it's going to destroy me um 
it, you know, I sat in the dark. I was flabbergasted. I was like, what? You gotta be kidding me. I think he was as shocked as I was. I, th I think Trump was, was, was surprised somewhat. I don't know that. I haven't ever asked him, but I think he was somewhat surprised. We, you know, we were thrilled. Well, my wife and I believed Trump was going to win. We always believed he was going to win because I was knocking doors. I was out there in the community. And um, I'll always remember a guy that my opponent was had put up all these signs all over my congressional district that said, Biggs is a bully. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's okay. So I'm knocking on a door one time, and, and the, guy, I, the guy says, what do you want? I said, well, I'm Andy Biggs running for Congress. He says, are you the guy that they say is a bully? And I said, yeah. He says, you got my vote. I want a bully. I don't want any more of this man. And that's why I knew Trump was going to win. People wanted a change. And that's and that's why I think the 2020, when you start looking at 2020, you go, okay, that doesn't make sense. That just doesn't make sense. Why did we win uh, uh, as much as we did everywhere? And then somehow Donald Trump doesn't win. So I have interviewed most of the gang here in Arizona that did the recall that pushed it that spearheaded the movement and after many hours of talking and you could watch it all live anybody who is observing and wants to check me on this after all this time directly with everybody I and all the months of investigation and all not a clear answer from anybody it's squishy yeah and you know, so I try to be a neutral. I mean, I'm a conservative guy, but when it comes to making decisions, I try to stand in the middle and see which side of the boat the water falls down on. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to make my call. I was, I, I can't get a square straight answer from anybody. I think our election has always got maybe a half a percent of fraud. You can always have fraud. You can always have fraud. Yeah. You can always. Sometimes fraud look sometimes accidents look like fraud. Sometimes the slowness yeah. of government can look like fraud. The slowness of reporting deaths, the slowness of aggregating the information. You know, there's just general bureaucratic incompetence. Right. And and so if you hit the stopwatch at any given moment, there's a trail of comments kind of bullshit that hasn't caught up to the paperwork yet. But that all gets caught in elections. The people that have died, the people that have moved, the people who who, who got a mail in ballot, who voted at the ballot. There, there's a little bit I couldn't get a straight answer from anybody. And I mean, I have sat and asked straight up, tell me where, give me clarity. So anybody watching and nobody could, not well. And about, about about fraud or? About integrity. fraud in the election. Yeah. They gave me all examples of little bits of fraud here and there, but nothing concrete about, hey, the fraud was this number, here's what happened, we know when, we know why. It sounds like we did a paper hand recount that came in reasonably close to what had been reported. Now. I look at that and I go, okay, so there's a little bit of mess to it all. And if you look really hard, you find yep. the mess. But I just felt like white women just abandoned um, the the uh, what seemed like maybe the hostility of his presidency. Yeah. So, I, I am wanna, I wrong? Yeah. No, I think I think suburban women left. Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump. They didn't like the mean tweets. Yeah. And 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 I think that was a huge problem. But I I also want to add. I, I want to give you a specific data point that that I don't know what it means okay. ultimately, but it it's it is why I it was the basis I had two bases for me objecting to Arizona's electors being seated in Jan, on January 6, twenty twenty. Okay. 
number one, I went uh, is is the voter registration date. So our voter registration date was supposed to terminate, and I want to say October third. I can't remember the exact date now. Um, and you had a left wing group funded ostensibly, perhaps some have suggested by George Soros, that was out there registering pre-COVID, you know, thousands a week. And then when COVID came in and all the lockdowns in early, you know, early spring of 2020, yeah. they went down to 250 a week or whatever it was. I mean, it was, it was a significant reduction. And, they, and so they were beefed. And so they ultimately brought a lawsuit and they bring the lawsuit and they go in. And the federal district court says, hey, you know what? Uh, Arizona, your law is constitutional. Your deadline is constitutional. It's appropriate. It is right. But, you know, even though it's wrong, even though it's right constitutionally, we kind of feel bad for these guys because COVID's kind of extraordinary and they couldn't get out there. So we're going to just ignore your law, which we've said is constitutional, and we're going to give you 23 extra days, give these guys 23 extra days to go out and register voters. Okay. Well, anybody who registered post-October 3rd, whatever the magic date was, those are illegal voters. Mm. And the number was about 40,000. Yeah. So the question, the question which I have not been able to get resolved is how many of those 40,000 illegal voters yeah. actually voted? The, you know, the problem is when we win on a technicality, we lose on the sentiment of your average person. Mm. Right, it's that's that's the opposite of Ben Shapiro's. Your facts, my facts don't care about your feelings. That's the opposite. That's my feelings don't care about your facts. Right. I mean. Right. So I don't view that as a technicality. I well, view, I, I view it as the law. I, that's what I view it right. as. The law is the law, and if you didn't like the law, you should have changed it. We've seen a, um, you know, the worst things that we see going on in our nation right now is an abdication of our elected class just following through on what's what. I tell people all the time, you know, the way you fix our country is you sunset clause and do a balanced budget amendment. Sunset clause so the Congress has got real work to do, renewing things that die every 10 years automatically, keep them busy because the country's working just fine if we just follow the damn laws we have. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, so I think one of our biggest problems is the rule of law has been flushed. And I mean, I think that gets to yeah. your point. And, and I, you know, my position is this, the, you can't have freedom without the rule of law because you because the rule of law protects it's, it's the, the weak. It's the structure too, it, right? Yeah, yeah. But it but it's but government's sole purpose is to protect the rights of everybody, mm -hmm. um, uh, and we particularly understand that there will be those who are bullies and those who are weak and can't defend themselves. So we we erect these laws. That's why we have, you know, and, and we have moral codes that say, you know, you can't defraud somebody, you can't kill somebody, you can't assault somebody, you can't steal from them. Because we recognize that in order to be free, you, you protect property and life. Those things have to be protected. But what, what's happening now is we have an abdication. We've set aside the rule of law. I mean, yeah. the, the border is a prime example of it. Uh, and uh, and now, uh, you know, you got Cory Bush again talking about defunding police. Uh, and not enforcing the laws, and and that's the whole this whole social justice movement is to basically say, well, you know, you're a white male, uh, Greg. You've been very successful. So, well, here's what we're going to do: uh, we're going to we're going to score you. And so, because uh, you know of your 
racial profile, your economic profile, yeah, you, you don't get as many rights as somebody who is demographically yeah, different. Yeah. And and that is that is a, a violation of the rule of law. Well, I think the cornerstone of Western democracy is the rule of law. And what we have is half of our elected officials are deconstructing the rule of law everywhere. Mm -hmm. These district attorneys in big cities across this country who have stopped punishing criminals. Right. Um, you know, a free, open society is a kind of a messy enterprise. And there is the opportunity for people because there isn't a pure safety net for everyone. There is an opportunity for people to to break the break the rules all the time. So there's a constant grind of dealing with this. So are at the municipal level, they've abdicated their responsibility. You can see it when you drive across this town and every town in America. Where have all these zombies come from? It is the zombie apocalypse. Where are all these? You look at these people with their vacant faces and their missing teeth and their weird tattoos, and these are not homeless bums who are back from the war and they haven't adjusted. These are drug users. What has happened? So we've abdicated our responsibility there. It's the erosion of culture. We've abdicated our responsibility in public schools. Yeah. And, and now kids, I talk to kids about American history. You know, my kids are really into it because I'm a lunatic. But when I talk to other people, they get goosebumps and think, God, I, why don't we learn this at school? And I scratch my head and go, why don't we learn this at school? I want to talk about some other stuff. Let's run yeah. into it. Yeah, yeah. I see, but I I see the erosion of the rule of law as the cornerstone of the breakdown of everything. You you don't have the border. You don't have, you don't have uh, cities contained. You have violence in New York. You have escalating death and murder everywhere. What's going on? Yeah, um, I, I I will tell you the rule of law is is part of the destruction of the institutions that we have, whether they're religious institutions, educational institutions, etc. The rule of law, what's going on is, um, this is, I know this may sound a little bit radical, but this is the the the, pro, the proletarian revolution that you would normally have, uh, like the Bolsheviks did. And, I was just going to say, it's a and, Bolshevik revolution. And, 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 and that's really Except what... here, it's a bullshit revolution. Yeah, that's right. And it was, it, but it's, it's just a slow-moving... Uh, a revolution, and that's what that's what basically critical race theory, and and that uh, critical theory. So you know uh, Habermas and the Frankfurt School and all those guys, they're talking about critical theory. They're talking about a, a middle class, slow moving, take over the institutions, indoctrinate uh, revolution. Uh, that y you know normally you think of revolutions happening overnight, quick right, coup, and those right. things. No, this is a as you say, cultural revolution. This is something, uh, uh, you know, Mao began in '48, and then he, then in the in the '60s, he started the Cultural Revolution, which was a disaster for China. But the point is, it's an attempt to actually emasculate everything that represents the foundation and structure of American free market freedom and our our history. So that's why. When you talk about history, people don't know what you're talking about. My my wife teaches uh, Constitution classes, and 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 uh, you know, uh, kids get excited about it, and they understand it. They understand oh, this yeah. stuff. When I talk to young people about the Barbary Pirate Wars under Jefferson's administration and the liberation of European slaves that had been held for centuries in under Muslim rule in North Africa as part of the bribed bribe to passage business of the mediterranean right. Right. when i talk about that with people they they first they think you're like is this true i'm like 
yeah, this is actual like no kidding real history. And then they're 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 completely blown away. And and I and then and then I you know and then I try to always connect it to the beacon of hope that America has been for 250 years. You, we don't have to do things the old way. You can be free. You can determine your own future. And self determinism of this country is the thing that flies in the face of lefties and Marxists. We're not wearing your mask like you didn't do. Yeah. They don't want us determining ourselves. Yeah, no, that, that, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, we are a free society. We're meant to be free. The whole, the whole notion of, of coming over here and, and go, getting back to the, the history of, of, of the, you know, the Puritans and the pilgrims who were, who were oppressed, you know, uh, they were coming over so they could worship. And they were coming over, and and they saw what happened because you had a couple of, of of basically Marxist or socialist uh, experiments that were, were thrust upon the first settlements, and they failed, utterly failed. Mm. It wasn't until people said, "Everybody's going to carry their own weight. Everybody's going to do what the best they can," that all of a sudden people were self-accountable. Didn't matter whether you were crazy. You understood. I need to work. I need to plant. I need to work. And, and that free market system, which is su supportive of freedom and self-determination, you get to choose who you want to be, this agency. That, that's the history of America. And it's the core of who we are today. When yeah. I sit at a table of Germans in Europe and we're talking about politics and business, it is the defining feature. They say, you know, you know, usually they're like very surprised that I like read because they think we're a bunch of troglodytes over here. But, um, but, yeah. but I start talking with him and, and, and I said, well, you know, what's different is I go, I, my people, we stole our freedom from the king and declared ourselves connected to God. Right. We, we, yes. You Amen. didn't. I said, your people didn't. You were granted your freedom. You've been given your freedom and it can be taken away at any moment. And we don't have that. We don't have that problem. Well, you, you couldn't have said it better. I mean, that's that, that you have, you have these, these rights that either are inherent in you as a gift from God, a recognition of your uh, being made in the image of God, or you have some dictatorial group. What some person says. Or some person says, uh, yeah, you can do this. And, and we see this happen in Europe all the time. They, they grant you a right, and then they take it away. Yeah, well, look, grant, look what's going on in Canada right now oh. with this trucker thing. Like, can you imagine the government mobilizing against the blue-collar working class that moves everything yeah. like if the truckers just said hey let's stay home for 30 days let's see how much they want to mess with us can you find me for staying home too yeah because you uh, know they're seizing their money they're they're talking about seizing their property and they're finding them i'm like and all they're they're not doing anything violent they're no, they're, they're protesting yeah they're they're honking the horns and, and parking and i mean that's silly i i would have sworn and i'm not kidding you when trudeau was speaking before uh, the Canadian Parliament the other day, I would have sworn I saw a little Hitler mustache starting uh, above his lip. It's very much Hitler stuff because you have lost power if you battle. Or if you're battling truckers, you've lost power. You yeah. are not in power. That's you right. are a feckless beta male. Yeah. Well, let's move uh, on. Beta male. <laughs> Skinny Jean wearing beta male. <laughs> soy boy. You are officially a soy boy. He's a soy boy if there ever was one. Um, we covered the elections. Current state of play. We talked a little bit about crime, border. Um, what are you in at all on what's going on with our energy policy in this country? Do you see what's? I mean, you, 
I know you see the same thing we all see, but from the inside, what can you tell us about what happened? Because it looks to me and a lot of us looking in from the outside, like there has been an intentional effort to undermine the independence and energy uh, freedom of America. And, and now it's caused Ukraine. It's causing it. Yeah, you sound you sound like me. I, I actually gave multiple interviews over the last couple of weeks talking about what Biden did that has produced the Ukraine. So uh, so here's the deal. He started off immediately getting rid of Keystone Pipeline. Now, um, Keystone Pipeline is actually more environmentally friendly and safe than than the trucks that are that yeah. are flowing through. Yeah. Um, he also and people forget this because this is critical. He actually um, put, uh, by his rule, he stopped exploration, development, and refining of oil and gas in the United States, new, new stuff. So, yeah. so, so that, that, that made us not energy independent anymore. He immediately— Just kind of parentheses for everybody listening. Yeah. Imagine every business or any industry or any industry that you work for or a part of, imagine— the government comes in and says we can have no more of those businesses only what currently exists no more new restaurants yeah. right yeah i mean <laughs> it, that, it's the same it's the same thing it's crazy yeah so so he does that and at the same time he's doing that they're they're, they're green lighting the, the Nord stream 2 uh later on and they also we start uh, well surprise surprise gas goes up starts going up and he says well good grief you know that they know some economics because he says we need them to we need OPEC to produce more. We need Russia to give us more. What is and, it, 1982? Yeah, I mean this is so stupid. And so, so here we sit, um, where they've attacked that. Now the other thing that 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 I think showed amazing fecklessness that led to the Ukraine. A couple other things is we immediately went in and said the New Start Treaty. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I know someone criticized me and said, oh well. You didn't get that right. No, I got it right. This is what happened. We basically extended uh, Russia's uh, a, a timeline to comply with Nor with uh, New Start two for five years. We got nothing for that. That's my point. We got nothing for that. Right. And so Putin said, "Okay, well, you know, this guy's an idiot." And then Afghanistan showed uh -huh. uh, that that that. A Biden is weak and feckless. Why do I believe that? Because I believe that uh, uh, very serious-minded people understood President Trump's uh, plan to withdraw from Afghanistan yeah. in a way where we didn't give Bagram Air Base. When we gave Bagram Air Base, I turned to my staff, I turned to my wife, I turned to anybody that was close, I said, this is it, it will be a route. This yeah. is terrible. Right. Because so, we could control that. Because we could control that. We could have had an orderly uh, yeah. uh, Exit. withdrawal. Yeah. So... So all of that stuff led to the same thing. So you see Putin kind of messing around the Ukraine. Now he does that from time to time. Yeah. He does that because he's yeah. pissed off because he wanted Ukraine. And he went into Crimea and all that stuff. But, but you also saw at the same time Kim Jong-un has stepped up and renewed their nuclear program and yeah. shooting their ballistic missiles over Japan. You saw uh, uh, Xi Jinping who had come out under Trump and said, we will not do anything until after... Uh, the midterm, and then we'll discuss uh, um, resolving the Taiwan issue. But why did he do that? Because his generals are antsy and anxious to retake Taiwan. He has now stopped that rhetoric of holding back.
Xi Jinping because Biden is so weak. So that's why you end up with Ukraine. Now, if you want to solve that problem, what you do is you say, okay, we're going to reinstate the Keystone Pipeline and we're going to allow um, basically exploration, development, and, and refining. Drop the price of oil, $30 a barrel globally. Russia doesn't have the money to F around as much. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> Uh, but the other thing because they're too, basically a petrochemical welfare state. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. I, I think a lot of them, people don't really realize that it's controlled by Putin and it funds his military. And when it's at sixty dollars a barrel globally, that's right. He doesn't have the money to screw around because at some point he's got to keep people from rioting. And why do you think that 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 when Trump was president, it held him in check because uh -huh. we were moving and we were exporting. Uh -huh. We started exporting uh, natural gas. So all of those things can be resolved. I mean. This isn't rocket science. Most of this stuff can be resolved fairly quickly, whether it's the border, whether it's energy policy, uh, you know, just. Can, can you imagine if Biden just rolled up on Friday and he determined he figured out what day of the week it was and where he was and that he was actually the president? And he said, you know what, we are going to uh, enter a, 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 a oil war with Russia. We are going to supply the world with energy and us and just the announcement alone. And we're going to open up. We're going to fast track exploration rights. He would drop the price of oil so fast. The Arabs w wouldn't have any control because yeah. OPEC would be defunct because we're basically undercutting the whole raison d'etre of, of, of uh, OPEC. Yeah. Um, the Russians, he'd go, oh, shit, we're not going to have $100 a, a barrel oil. That's a problem for me. And then, and then China, you know, Trump kept China on their heels having to deal with him. And while they were dealing with him, they weren't. That's strategizing right. on Taiwan. You look, you see what's going on in this town. Taiwan's buying up this town. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they have to because they've got to be ready to move. Yeah. Right? I think they know it's coming. I think they're, they've already, yeah, I think it's a fait accompli. They're, they are, they've put so much money here. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And well, particularly where you are, which is on this, the Northwest Valley. Yeah. I mean, it's really, they've really done a ton here. But I, I mean, I look at it and I say, you asked me if I could imagine Biden rolling up to that. No, I cannot. <laughs> but could you, we'd all be like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But that I, would be the counter, wouldn't it? That that would be the counter. I mean, so it isn't sending 8,500 troops over no. to, to Poland and Romania. <laughs> no. What, what it is is to say, you know what? Hey, we, we've got some domestic policy. If we clean up, guess what? Uh, this this and it happens so quickly. It, I mean, it it is if we if you take off those restrictions on energy development, it happens it happens quickly. It's just like people say, well, how long do you think it would take? Well, when when we on the border, on, when take they, a week. I say if Joe Biden said you're not welcome, we're not giving you amnesty, and we're going to enforce our laws. Well, the cartels would go ballistic they'd go crazy they would test you for a week or two and when you started sending people back and you told mexico you're going to take these people back they're going to be there uh because that's that's actually in compliance with international law right and all of a sudden the border goes from two hundred and fifty thousand a month which by the way that's about what it is with with uh when you include the gotaways yeah it goes down to about where it was when trump was there and you had uh uh you know, 30,000, 25,000. A manageable amount. It's a manageable amount, yeah. and, and we can control that and start sending people back. And people quit coming from 140 plus different nations. You know what I would do if I was Biden right now? I mean, I, and I would go get I, an ice cream cone. Besides, if you were Biden. besides that, um, <laughs> besides put on my depends, what I would do is I would reach out to the, I would reach out to Putin and say, hey, listen, you know, if you do this, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to send tanks. We're not going to get into big war with you. I'm going to defund you.
Yeah. Well, and, and, and what would happen is, so by, by, I would also pull the plug on the Nord Stream 2. Oh, yeah. yeah you have to pull the, the plug yeah. on that because it's not done yet. So no, nothing's flowing through there yet. Right. It, they're 90% they're done. Well, stop it. Right. You say, okay, we're done. That's no good anymore. Yeah. And you do that, and then you ramp up our development, uh -huh. and, and all of a sudden, we're looking pretty good. And hey, by the way, Russia, we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna bring in six, eight hundred thousand barrels a day uh, from you. Why? why and and, and why? then negotiate with them. Now it's a time to negotiate. Yeah. Now it's a time to send in the diplomats. And say, hey, look, let's get you a way that saves face for you to stand this down. We don't need a war in Europe. That's why NATO's there, for God's sake. <laughs> we know how that works. Two yeah. times in the last century, it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. It's the. the I, Look, we, you, you and I should run for do. president, okay? Yeah, we, 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 well, right. I mean, the reality is there are things you can do if you if <laughs> you have smarts. Just today you could do it, today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and some, of it does, some of it doesn't even require um, congressional action. It, it can be done through authorities give, given to the executive branch. When the election happened, all of my friends collectively gasped. And I said, in 16 or 20 and 20, I said, all we have to do is one year in this whole thing is over. I said, it's already over right now because they don't have a mandate to rule and they're going to get blocked everywhere. And they mostly did um, because you can't come in and run like you have a 10 seat majority in the Senate. You can't come in and function that way when you have a 50, 50 house. I mean, a 50, 50 Senate and we're, we're, I'm in a 20. How many, how, how much are they up in the house? About five. <laughs> It's it's no majority at all. It's a big plural country to be acting like you you're you're uh, you won by some huge landslide. Uh, agreed. I mean, and that's that's the whole thing is that they are running the country uh, as if they have this mandate, right? Um, but what they're doing too is this this is uh, I, you got a picture of T.R. Teddy Roosevelt in your office. Mm -hmm. So T.R. was a big expand the executive power guy. I mean, he really was. Yeah, and that's a problem. And and Biden. Uh, and I would say this, I don't know that he knows what's happening, but the executive power is being expanded dramatically right now. And, and if we don't put that genie back in the bottle, uh, and, and the only way you can put it back in the bottle is, and in past, by the way, in past history, uh, you would have congresses of the same party as the president saying, we're not going there because you're taking our power and authority away. And we've lost that. Congress seems to have abdicated in the last 20 years, and they have, they have, sit by and let the executive step into a vacuum because they haven't been really they haven't been completing their job yeah you know here's i actually heard a member of congress say one time probably 25 years ago um he said look it was over the ada uh, americans with disability act he said look we purposely put in some pretty vague terms knowing that the courts would have to interpret them and that executive branch agencies would have to also interpret them through rulemaking well the announcer says why well, because uh, it helps us to avoid accountability. And that that is what is, uh, as soon as you had members of Congress re re realize, hey, I can avoid accountability by just uh, putting a piece of crap legislation together that where I delegate authority to everybody away from me. And so so when 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 Department of Health and Human Services does something that that's problematic. I said, golly, wish I could do something about that. And we, because that they're the ones who did it, we're going to clean up DHS. Why, why not just say all those, we need to take away rulemaking authority back 
take that away and bring it back to the legislative branch. We're elected by the people. We would be held accountable. Yeah. And we would have better product. Yes, because the people defining and codifying the product are accountable to no one and they don't go away. Amen. That's it. That's that's part of the huge problem we yeah. have. And we've so we've let the bureaucracy take over. Um and Congress has gotten dysfunctional in in a way that, you know, it's easy to just beat on people from afar. It's easy to beat on groups. There's it's consensus is challenging. Yeah. It, it is. Um, but the the last fifty years Congress has, I think, not done a great job. You know, the last time I saw Congress kind of get together and do something was uh, uh Gingrich's contract with America. It was a pretty solid, like palatable plan that a group could run with and show results. Yeah, well, but even then it was only Republicans. And and it is look, it's become very, very divisive and it's very polarized. I, I don't think it's been this polarized in Congress since pre-Civil War times. If you go back and study and look at that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, people forget we had a duel on the floor, right? Yeah, 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 a duel <laughs> on the floor. Look, here's the thing, and people say, Andy, this is the worst ever. I say, well, you know, I, I remember when people were shooting each other, right. 780,000 Americans <laughs> killed each other, you know? It's not the worst yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah. We're contentious as hell. Yeah, it's contentious. Uh, uh, look, I got people that, that were that were work with me my first two years in Congress who won't even talk to me now. Yeah. Uh, and that's fine. I mean, that's their choice. Um, but the but the reality is, uh, the there's a, a huge schism in America, and part of it is because it's institutional, and part of it is because, just like you sense it, just like you were hoping for something in 2016, it's because uh, people on the right we sense that the people on the left want to kill uh, American freedom and who we are, right. and people on the left do want to kill America, uh, yeah. and they they do have an agenda. So these very uh, ideological agendas that are out there, yeah, they they they're not conducive to to consensus. And so, uh, just two quick points: uh, James Madison, the founders. Uh, I, I love these guys, but if you read what they're talking about, they expected Congress to be something really difficult to get legislation through. Why? Because they expected you to have a good product at the end. Just it, You wouldn't just burp out and spit out all the crap that we do today. Um, and so they intended to, they, they, there was supposed to be screening and sieves and that you had to go through and filtering. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's a pretty important thing. And then, and then, you know what? I don't, and then we get to today. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that you see um, what I'm going to call stratification of Congress. And the reason is you know where people stand. You mm -hmm. can find mm -hmm. out where people stand. Right. And that's what the 24-hour uh, news cycle has done. You know where people stand. You can say, I like that guy. I don't like that guy. I like that guy some of the time. I don't like him a lot of the time. Or I like the guy a lot of time. I don't like him all the time. The point is... You can get more clarity, more transparency. You can get more regard, transparency yeah. ultimately. Yeah. Uh, you know, I when I hear people that are really disgruntled, I say you need to read the first couple of pages of George Washington's farewell to the second con his his uh, sec to to Congress uh, after second term. Yeah, read that because all you'd have to do is change the names. It sounds like today. Yeah, it does. Uh, I would I would encourage people to read Thomas Jefferson's second inaugural address. Uh. Beautiful piece of work describing it about what the duties are of and it's just so fantastic it's amazing how many of us who are 
considered to be like kind of right-wing extremists and uh i you know lefties look at us and think we're nutters <laughs> you know, we're students of history we're students of grand ideas we're students of the core pillars that made this place what it is um critical race theory and marxism did not make this the shining city on the hill and uh we have to remember that quick lightning round because i know you got to go um who do you think will be our next governor uh i don't know i really don't know you got any favorites matt sam is my favorite yeah look look i don't think it's going to be a democrat it's whoever pulls out of the Republican primary, I believe, whoever wins that. I hope it's a Republican. This state has, uh, there's no end of the shit show stuns that have come out of the last two elections for this state. I've been blown away. Yeah. I thought McCain but, was an anomaly. Then we got Cinema. Then we got Kelly. We got this uh, Marxist running the city. I mean, I, I'm stunned. But here's the way to think about it. Katie Hobbs, who is the presumptive nominee. Right. Uh, I know Katie. I've worked with Katie in the legislature. Um. She is as radical as they come, but she has no inco- she has no coherent thought or plan. And, and uh, my guess is she's going to pull a Biden in the basement, Mark Kelly in the basement type of thing. Because if she debates somebody, she's going to get her tail kicked. Yeah, uh, you know I've had a chance to sit and talk with Carrie Lake. I've had a chance to sit and talk with Matt at uh, at length, uh, and. Uh, you know, I uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Don't I know. It's where the money and the sub. Will we get enough exposure to see the substance rise, and uh, see the fiscal responsibility of campaigns make it to the end? Because it's a marathon getting there. It is, and and it's the hardest work that either one of them will do. Yeah, it is. It's it is demanding. She is no. She. I'll tell you one thing about her. She is not short on energy. She is out no. there hustling. She is. Um, she but, is. Uh, let's move on to the next thing. Um, Cinema Kelly seats. Let's talk about. Uh, do you think Mark Kelly is going to lose his seat in this upcoming election? It's close. This is really close. Um, if Who, the, if who's the, your pick for him? I I'm st- I've stayed out of that race. Um, I will tell you, any one of the Republican candidates, generic Republican, they're within probably two three points of of Mark Kelly. And I think once Mark Kelly's exposed a little bit more. Uh, I and with a red wave that I think won't it won't be dyna- it won't be as dynamic in Arizona as other places, but it will be enough to carry Republican to the to the win. I sure hope so, my friend. I've just been I love Arizona so much. I mean, I yeah. God, I love this are you, place. Are you from here? Yeah, I'm a native. Where, would you grow up in the valley? Yeah. Yeah, I grew up 65th Street and Cactus. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I love I love Arizona. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't live anywhere I, else. I love it's this just, place. It's just what, what ticks me off is you. If as as native guys, we understand Arizona's always been kind of an independent, yeah, a real independent streak, and I I feel like we're we're getting claustrophobic. We're getting sucked into yeah, this. we get sucked in. It's, <laughs> it's claustrophobic. Uh, the midterms. Uh, what do you think? Look clearly what's going on clearly they're not real bright and they're not very reactive and they're doubling down on most of their bullshit yeah. so you know maybe they're backing off the mask <clears throat> mandates because they know it's bullshit too that's the why that's I, why i think they've drunk the kool-aid on everything else and they think it's true so i don't <laughs> think there's going to be a major sea change in their behavior i think they're going to think they didn't do build back better big enough 
Well, that's Corey Bush. Just Corey Bush actually just said that yesterday. <laughs> she said, and I don't have CV, so I'm just guessing. Here. Yeah, she just said, "Hey, we did. You know, we would have won by a big margin in 2020 if we would have been more radical, defunded the police, yeah. and, uh, and yeah. put the we social justice. We should have done, killed the police and <laughs> build back dumber. It would yeah. have been better. Oh my gosh. So, so basically, uh, what do you think? How, how how what do you think? Based on a lot of years in politics, what's your take on what's going to happen? I believe that the Senate and the House will both become Republican. Yeah, I, I agree. I think both. How big? Uh, Senate by maybe two seats max. Okay. Um, uh, the House, and, and a lot of people disagree with me on this, but if you look at the redistricting, it's been unkind to us. Um, I've predicted 12-seat Republican majority. majority by max. That's a max. And um, I was I did a show last week, uh, and, and this guy, he's a great guy, I like him, but he said, it's 80 seats, Andy, Is you're going to have an 80-seat majority. Um, maybe the conditions indicate that we should have a majority like that, but we didn't control all the redistricting, and that is yeah, critical. Yeah, the redistricting is a big deal. Yeah, and it I, think it's 12, the dynamic. I think it's 12 seats probably. Okay, so I um, uh, does Trump run again or not? Yes, yes or no? Uh, yes. I think so, too. And I think he's waiting to make sure that the midterms, that he doesn't have an impeachment nightmare to follow him for his next presidency. I'm, yeah. Too, that I, he's got Republicans in charge. Yeah. I mean, he, he has to. And uh, I don't think he is really fond of either one of the, the, the guys most likely to be leader in the Senate or the House. I think we are going to get to see. Uh, do you think he'll be elected president? I do think so. I think he would win. I think so, too. Yeah. Uh, and then we will get to see the biggest political storm in 200 years. Yeah. I Look, here's, here's the deal. <laughs> He's not naive. He knows who to bring in. They know the players, and they know what they're stepping into. Yeah. Very different than the first time, right? Yeah, although <laughs> although there's people around him I wish, I you know, I like yeah, a lot of yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, but anyway, the point is, I think he's got in his mind how to do this stuff and if he keeps focused on the big ticket items which is what i think he will stay focused on yeah i think the le the, the legislative branch will stay focused on the investigations that we have to do yeah i also think there'll be less i i think there'll be less of the pushback from i mean he's going to get pushback from republicans but he won't get it like he did the first time well, no, I, because I mean, he will if he gets elected, he'll be have a mandate, oh, regardless of right, what, right. what the what the t turn is. But I mean, ninety two percent of Republicans still uh, still love Donald Trump. Oh boy, I I'm telling you, I, I I'm 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 almost giddy about it. So I'm just holding my breath. I want I you know I think about his health and I want him to remain healthy. I I still think he's as mentally clear as he was in the first election. Uh, I like him. He's, I, I will tell you, uh, I, as a guy who talked to him a lot during his tenure there, and I've, I talked to him periodically since, the guy is sharp. Yeah, he is really sharp. He doesn't show any of the signs of 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 d uh, the, onset of dementia yeah. that Joe Biden does. Yeah, no, clearly. Well, Joe hasn't been using his brain for good 20, 30 years beforehand anyways. Yeah, uh, so um, are there any big things coming that you see in Washington that you think, are, you know, they're not on the radar right now, but they're going to be a big deal? Uh, yeah, multiple things. Uh, the first one I'll talk about is is the budgeting stuff. So the, C the continuing resolution or short-term spending yeah. bill that will come in, in, in March. Uh, right now, uh, our good friends in the Senate, Mike Lee and a few others, are trying to hold that up to eliminate any funding for uh, vax mandates to make sure vax mandates leave. Okay. We need to be supportive of that effort. So there's that. 
uh, you're going to then you're going to see the Democrats kind of ratchet down as much as they possibly can because they want to they don't want to be controversial uh, yeah. too late. <laughs> yeah. Um, OK. We're kind of wrapping up our time. Yeah. And I want to ask you, I'm going to I'll you can go first and then I'll go second. You know, I don't like to just come here and just do this machine gun questions. I like to just talk like guys and interact and kind of see what happens. I love the human experience of conversation. And uh, if you do it with an open heart and an open mind, sometimes I'm moved by people's thinking. Uh, sometimes it corroborates what I feel already. And other times I go, God, my horseshit meter just exploded. (laughs) (laughs) Um, if you, let's say you were, the almighty came down and said, I'm going to grant you one thing that I'm going to do for this country. And you're, and you will no longer have a say after this moment. It is the thing. What would that thing be for you? That's a tough question. I mean, that really is a tough question. I mean, I can think of five things that need to happen to save the country. And if any one of them doesn't happen, I view the salvation of this country with a certain amount of... You got the five pretty close on the tip of your tongue? Yeah. Right, let them rip, because the Almighty can change his mind, her mind, his mind. So the the first thing you have to do, you have to do every policy necessary to close our border. Uh, All right. That's the first thing. Control the borders. Yeah, you got to control the borders. Second thing, you have got to... Um, fix um, the federal budget. You have to fix the federal budget. Which means each year Congress passing some sort of working balanced or so, working towards fiscal responsibility type budget that is sane, that yeah. connects the revenue to the spending yeah, somehow. Exactly. And, okay. and every day you wait, it gets worse. Right. Uh, then you have, to, you have to get back to... Um, the the notion of energy independence we have to be energy independent yeah. because it could it affects everything with your economy yeah. has to you everything. have to do that the 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 fourth thing is you have to give parents um this this the freedom the freedom of choice in education and this isn't a federal issue this should be a state issue freedom of choice in education and transparency over everything from school spending to curriculum okay and, and all of that that's number four and number five you have to basically say um, we're, we're not going to intervene in anybody else's internal politics. I mean, we can criticize, we can work with our friends and our allies, but you have to do something more akin to what we did uh, with the re- revamping of the uh, uh, Mexico-America-Canadian uh, 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 trade talks. No more multilateral agreements. Any one of those five, if we don't, if we if we fail to do any one of those five, I think that our kids and grandkids are in for a lot of struggle. I agree with you on all five of them in the now and in the long run. I think the most important thing we do is we drop the hammer on what's being taught in schools. Because if we continue to have a leftist rudderless education, we are sending out millions of little commies who don't know what a spectacular place they're getting ready to piss on. You're exactly right. That's that's why I mentioned you got to have parental choice because the feds, the feds, we should just withdraw all funding for <laughs> for anybody for states. We should get rid of the Department of Education. I mean, that's I've signed. I the totally bill. agree. I've sponsored that bill before. The point is, it gets to your point, and and maybe this is one that I should have listed was is institutionally, America's in, in a real desperate spot because they because the left controls schools, 
corporate boards, churches, media, media, all the things that form public uh, opinion and and actually discourse yeah. is being uh, censored and constrained by by the institutions and schools. The the first the first schools are the first one. I mean, we're not even getting into post secondary ed, which is a disaster right now. Well, listen, you have. A lot to do. I know you have to go. I would love at some point to have you back, maybe in a few months when you've got a few moments. Uh, I want to talk about a little bit about the January 6th commission, uh, which I, oh, I, yeah. I equate to that to catching the teenagers smoking pot in the basement, and they've gone apoplectic about it. Um, I'd, I'd like to talk to you about that. I'd like to talk to you about uh, things coming up in the next Trump presidency and what you're doing to tee up for that. And uh, I, I just got to tell you, it's an honor to have you in. It's a real pleasure. I am a chin-out former Marine, red, white, and blue, love America, hard critic of my nation. And um, I hope that it's I hope it's been fun to be here. It's, it's been great. I loved I loved the tour of your, your knife factory. I got to tell you, um, I'm astounded that uh, sometime in the in the recent past, you said, meh. I think I'm going to start a knife factory. You know? <laughs> it's about, it's like that too. And I said, because the processes to go through to make it the world's best knife is just, you know, it's just inspiring. But no, it's an honor to be with you. We, we loved it. My staff and I, Guy and I, we were, David and I were uh, going around and man, I, I just was, I was overwhelmed. It's well cool. Done. It's pretty it, cool. It's huh? cool. And wait cool. till you see the new company. We'll have three to five hundred employees, and it'll be the biggest knife company in America. He, uh, yeah, you, you guys were showing me the prototype yeah. and explaining yeah, to it's me. Nuts. I said, "Where are they? Where are you putting them all?" Yeah. And they said, uh, uh, "Greg, you know, he's kind of." Yeah, I'm always working stuff. Yeah, he's got a deal. Well, so. listen, uh, when you guys are ready for a knife for the anything in Congress, you just let me know because we're right here in Arizona, and we'll make it for you. Okay. Bless you. What Thanks. a pleasure having in. Great to be with you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Sir. What an honor for me, America. Thanks.